1: to help resolve their ED. Today we are joined by Andrew Wallen. Andrew is the founder of Dude Mental Health. He's a psychotherapist and a certified eating disorder specialist with a specific focus on males with eating disorders. Andrew is the immediate past president of the National Association for Males with Eating Disorders. He currently serves as the National Eating Disorder Association's Senior Advisor on Males with Eating Disorders. He is also a past founding board member of the Binge Eating Disorder Association. What we wanted to cover on today's episode is the crossroads of the intersection of eating disorders and uh, sexual function and sexual health. Um, So, Andrew, I, I know this might be a big area. So I'm going to try to ask you to help me tease this out a little bit. Is the impact that these eating disorders have on... Primary intimate relationships, in particular, because that that is an area that we cover a lot on this podcast, as well as partnered sexual activity uh, is is really really important when we're talking about sexual function and erectile dysfunction. So, can you share with us just you know, I guess on on the surface or on a basic level, what some of the impact looks like on people's relationships? Certainly, if they are in committed relationships with a with a partner, what this might look like.
0: Sure. Uh, thank you. First off, for having me, basically a loss of of intimate connection. I've seen, you know, I've had patients who, for instance, will stay up late uh, so that their partner will go to bed before them because they don't want to be seen. They don't take their shirt off even with their partner, and they will get up early uh, before their partner wakes up and then, you know, go in exercise, and so that they, you know, can avoid having to be told, you know, you should stop that. You know, it's an avoidance of every aspect of intimacy with their partner. I've had men whose uh, wives will say, you know, "He, he won't touch me. He won't look at me. I feel like leaving because, you know, I don't have, you know, I don't have a husband anymore. And it's that, that sense of failure that they feel. That's what I hear a lot about. And they can't get an erection or they can't sustain an erection. They don't want to be seen naked. They have no energy to actually have, you know, the, the sex. Um, and and it's part and parcel of their fixation also keeps them not just physically and sexually away from their partner, but intimately, emotionally, you know, just even a basic touch mm-hmm. is avoided.
1: I think. I think one of the things... That I'm hearing that we haven't really touched on is I think when you are avoiding but also keeping a secret, or try you think you're keeping a secret, mm-hmm. it's hard to be genuinely intimate with somebody. And I don't necessarily mean sexually intimate, but it's right. hard to be seen at the same time that you are holding a secret. And I think that that probably is something here that makes intimate connection really challenging. If mm-hmm. a lot of your orientation to your relationship is avoidance, for the right. sake of really protecting the secret or protecting um, the the eating disorder, so to speak,
0: and for the and it's absolutely true. And and let's also I I, I think there's a the real danger when we talk about eating disorders of focusing just on the restrictive and emaciated versions, but also we want to focus on those who are struggling with binge eating disorder, whether they are of a normal sized body or a very large sized body, the sense of disgust with themselves, I can't see myself as a sexual being, I can't imagine my partner does. And so the purposeful drawing away from uh, is a huge deal. But let's also add one other twist to this. Many individuals uh, develop eating disorders due to trauma, sexual trauma. And so to have a normal sized body and to have a body that is uh, sexually attractive is avoided as well because that means I might engage in something that will re-traumatize me.
1: And is this is this in particular in the line of binge eating?
0: All of it. I mean we see All people who will develop anorexic and restrictive behaviors to essentially lose any sense of sexual you know connection. I want to be as Invisible as possible, as small as possible.
1: As shapeless as possible, as small as possible.
0: Yes, as as as, as undes- undesirable. And and same for for men who might you know also develop very large bodies and binge behavior. It's it's a self soothing that then has the secondary act of becoming larger, which has the secondary benefit of nobody will touch me.
1: So, can you tell us a little bit about your current? Uh, therapy practice and its focus?
0: Sure. The uh, practice that I have is called Dude Mental Health. And Dude Mental Health is my practice that treats outpatient uh, for adult men struggling with all manner of issues. But my specific uh, area of specialization, again, is eating disorders. And uh, the eating disorders, people often think of Uh, just traditional anorexia, bulimia. uh, But we also have to think about binge eating. We have to think about uh, avoidant and restrictive feeding and intake disorder. We have to talk about other specified feeding and eating disorders. And we have to talk about the concept of muscle dysmorphia, uh, which is where we see uh, the most common experience of male disordered eating occur. So I think a lot of what we want to start and talk about with is what are eating disorders? What do they look like in men? And then we can really dive into, well, how is this related to the experience of sexual health and how they're tied in?
1: That sounds great. So, So to get that started, I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with some of the very well-known eating disorders. So could I ask you to, I guess, kind of give us a breakdown of some of the most common or the most prevalent eating disorders, and again, a brief description of what they generally entail or what the symptoms are of those disorders?
0: Absolutely. So the one that most everyone talks about is anorexia. And that actually, uh, we see that dating back in history in men uh, to uh, around 1689, where we had uh, a physician who described a young man who was struggling with uh, inability to eat due to uh, or what they called uh, anxious consumption. Uh, due to uh, depression and related cares, something along those lines. Um, we see it again in the late 1800s, where uh, the first time they decided to diagnose this with a, uh, the term anorexia, and they called it anorexia nervosa instead of anorexia hysterica, because um, it in Men couldn't have hysterica. That was a women's only disease. So we see that men do struggle with these early understandings of eating disorders. Anorexia is essentially, as we describe it now, the fear of normal eating due to fear of fat uh, and fear of um, uh, and, and an inability, despite negative consequences, to return to normal healthy eating. Uh, Then we look at bulimia, which is essentially a binge followed by a purge. Now we think of purging most often as vomiting, but of course it also encompasses uh, use of laxatives, diuretics of uh, compulsive exercise, and even just avoiding eating uh, as a way to undo the binge. Then we have classic binge eating, which is the loss of control of eating, and the feelings of shame and guilt associated with it afterwards. Um, and those are the, the three that we're most familiar with. And then there are those subcategories uh, where perhaps the restriction is more related to a you know sensory issues or fear of vomiting or some other kind of issue that uh, an OCD uh, experience where uh, there's a refusal to eat. But what we see most commonly is uh, a male experience where the drive is not to be thin, which almost all the eating disorders are about restriction in some form, leading to you know driven by by uh, a desire to be thin. Males don't typically think that way. The drive is to be lean and muscular. The drive is thus about masculinity. And that's where we see this other aspect of muscle dysmorphia. Now, muscle dysmorphia is considered part of the body dysmorphic disorder, which is part of OCD. But when we see this drive for hypermuscularity, you know, even though they might already be a muscular person, it's this fear of not being seen as masculine, as not meeting the expectation of dominance and strength and power. And that is often tied into hyper-rigid food behaviors, focus on proteins, focus on on, very rigid meal times, amounts, pushing more food in the body than is necessary for the drive to gain more muscle mass. Um, so go
1: ahead. I want to make sure I want to make sure that I and the listeners are following. So what what I'm gathering is that a number of the more popularized eating disorders that may be more pertinent or more relevant to women, but not exclusively, are driven by a desire to have a lean physique, to be very very skinny and narrow. Whereas men may have this driven by an image of masculinity, but it mm-hmm. may push A a increased caloric intake or a specific type of caloric intake in an effort to bulk the body up to some desired perception of muscle mass or a certain body
0: image. Is that correct? That's right. That's right. We see that there is sort of normal muscle building, right? And that is fine. But when it starts to incorporate rigid dietary practices, where I've, I have seen so many men who refuse to go out to eat because they can't control what they're going to eat, or they will only eat a like you know a very plain salad, a uh, very rigid style. There's a loss of of you know enjoyment in the traditional aspects of life. I will avoid social opportunities because it might interfere with my gym time. I, I will exercise even if I'm in pain, or injured because I can't imagine uh, what, because what I'm imagining is that all of my muscle gains are going to quickly disappear, which is equivalent to what a, uh, somebody with classic anorexia would think is I'm afraid that if I eat this donut, I will immediately become fat. And it's that irrational thought process. That is really what would define for me and many researchers in the male eating disorder field, that muscle dysmorphia with that dietary rigidity and hyper-focus on the body image aspect is an eating disorder.
1: So Andrew, as a follow-up to help our listeners better understand, so with uh, conditions like anorexia, bulimia, and uh, the like, where there generally is caloric restriction or a, um, purging of calories. Um, we can talk a little bit more about this, but I think it's understandable what the risks are both, you know, in terms of physical health, um, and mental health. Now, when somebody is eating a very restricted, but what seems like potentially a very healthy diet, um, can you speak to what the potential health impacts are, um, both physically and mentally when it comes mm-hmm. to, this uh, muscular dys- dysmorphia
0: that somebody might yeah be Muscle dysmorphia is actually, again, in itself is not an issue, but when the dietary practice becomes unhealthy, it's not that it actually appears healthy. it actually appears unhealthy to the average person. The cutting out of very specific foods, often cutting out carbohydrates, cutting out oils and fats, uh, it looks like um, what we see with anorexic patients as well. Uh, where it is a fear of fat for anorexia, but it's a drive for leanness so that I can see the muscular striations and what have you. What we see is that when the body uh, becomes more and more lean, that the body actually becomes unhealthy. We see high levels of proteins in the blood, uh, which can affect all kinds of organs in the body. We see electrolyte imbalances that can lead to edema. Can lead to um, electrical uh, firing uh, issues uh, where you know the heart does not regulate appropriately. Um, we can see, uh, you know, unfortunately, we also see high levels of. Substance use and appearance or appearance and performance enhancing drugs uh, in that population, whether it's anabolic steroids or some derivative of those, uh, both legal and illegal in the market. And uh, it can lead to digestive health, uh, cardiac health issues, uh, and most importantly to my world is psychological and social ill health.
1: And we will definitely come to some of that, which is going to be, I think, very pertinent, both on the physical and on the mental uh, aspects, and how that pertains to sexuality. But Andrew, before we get to that, I'm I'm wondering why why do you think that this is a particularly taboo topic when it comes to men and eating disorders?
0: Eating disorders for the last hundred years have been seen as a female disease, and that started out, even though the early researchers, you know, hundreds of years ago to you know, 150 years ago understood that men and women both suffered from this, what I have seen in my understanding of it is they were looking for something very clearly, uh, biological that they could pin it on. And so they started looking at loss of menstrual cycle. And that is where the research initially took off a hundred some odd years ago. And they, I think there was an intention probably to go back and find the, some masculine equivalent, but there wasn't. And the field really focused then on what they had in front of them, which was anorexia. Bulimia didn't even get looked at until say 50 years ago, and then binge eating maybe 20 years ago. Um, and so, you know, we're, we're really in the infancy of this field in so many ways. Uh, we don't understand it's etiology except to say that we know it's a genetic based disease. Uh, and, that it's probably best categorized under the anxiety umbrella. You know, it's a fear of a consequence. So fear, admitting to fear, admitting to some loss of control, these are language terms that males typically culturally don't subscribe to. So In the research, you know, we're asking males the same questions we're asking females where the language is, you know, emotion based and guys don't typically subscribe to that. So the more we've gone along in history, the more males have been left out. And so to say that I have an eating disorder would be to feel like I have a female disease or a gay male disease. And that, again, is for the typical heterosexual cisgender man, a very um, emasculating thing to admit to. And thus, we see so few reaching out for help due to stigma.
1: And I imagine that um, there's something paradoxical that the... Drive sounds like, at least in part, is to achieve an ideal vision or an ideal perception of masculinity. Yes. And at the same time, it would be extremely emasculating to reach out for help or to acknowledge that you have a disorder that has, you know, probably unfairly been categorized as a female type of disorder, which probably makes it even more challenging exactly. to take that step to reach out for help.
0: It really is. It really is. And to to ask for help in and of itself seems almost emasculating, you know, and then to do it for something that feels like it's not something a male should have to deal with. Uh, yeah. And the fact is it's so culturally normed. You know, we used to think that eating disorders, one in 10 cases might be male. And the latest uh, epidemiological studies are showing probably 25 to 33 percent of anorexia and bulimia cases are male and there's almost no sex disparity in binge eating disorder and when you start to add in the other subcategories of these disorders we see men making up a significant portion and then add the male experience of anorexia which mostly looks like muscle dysmorphia and you probably see a, a near Equal, you know, number of people who could be diagnosed if we had better assessment tools.
1: Andrew, when I when I think about health, how how uh, various mental health conditions impact uh, sexuality, in particular, impact erections and erectile dysfunction, we look at both the physical and the mental components. All right and. Um, In a little bit of an overlap here, it sounds like there are both mental and physical components to these Mm -hmm. eating disorders. So if we look first just at the physical implications, can I ask you to clarify some of the most common physical impacts that uh, these eating disorders have as they manifest in
0: men? Absolutely. So certainly with uh, most restrictive eating disorders, we're going to see fatigue, we're going to see anxiety, we're going to see depression, we're going to see a hyper focus on the one thing they can control, which might be food and exercise. So that leaves out pretty much everything else that might be important. And a lot of it is also this I don't want to be seen by others. uh, For many individuals uh, who are struggling with uh, an eating disorder, there's a sense of my body isn't good enough, and so I I don't want to take my shirt off. I don't want to be at the beach. I don't want. I'm going to wear baggy clothes and and look as asexual as possible until I feel like I have the body that I should have. The problem with eating disorders is that they never feel like they achieve the body that they want. So for males, one of the things that happens with these diseases is due to malnutrition, we then see not just anxiety and avoidance of social experiences, but we also see loss of sex drive due to very low testosterone levels. Um, I have individuals who are, you know, vibrant um, young men prior to the development of something as simple as, let me, let me try and get healthier, right? I just want to, I just want to, during the pandemic, I've had number of men who are like, I'm just going to focus on my fitness because, you know, I'm stuck at home mm-hmm. and that becomes obsessive. And then they go, Hey, you know, I kind of like what I see. And I feel like I've, I'm stronger. Let me see if I can get a little leaner and get a little more cut. And so they start to restrict a bit. And then that becomes like, boy, I really like this it becomes obsessive, becomes a hyper-focus. And next thing they know, sex drive is gone. They have no emotional connection to anything or anybody. And I ask them about, you know, do you even get erections anymore? No. Do you think about sex in any way? No. Have you stopped masturbating? Yes. All of it is basically gone. And the research is really saying that as people are nutritionally recovering, that may take a while to return. That testosterone takes a long time to regenerate. Um, And so there's often a frustration that comes with that, a lack of drive to even do the recovery behaviors. Uh, There's just no energy.
1: It sounds very, very difficult. And certainly there is a a pretty strong correlation and link between uh, testosterone levels and libido. One of the other mm. things that I was hearing that you described, you touched on a number of um, you know potential paths that could impact uh, sexual interest and erections, including anxiety, depression, body image concerns, fear about masculinity. One of the things that I wonder about, though, is this obsessive thinking that you're talking about, because something that... Uh, comes up a lot in my office, and certainly a theme that we talk about on this podcast is the important role that the mind has in facilitating an erection, and how a person has to be not necessarily proactive, but the mind has to be engaged in pleasure-seeking activities. Right. And you know, part of what I'm I'm hearing, maybe in some of the undertones of what you're saying, is that um, people feel good about the obsession. They feel good about that, but it's not necessarily driven by pleasure. They become almost obsessed with appearance or caloric uh, monitoring or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Does this become a very mind occupying type of experience for men who are who are caught up with, who are struggling with this type of condition?
0: Very much. If we're talking about uh, restrictive disorders like this uh, or uh, even uh, binge purge behaviors, the, the, the hyper f- uh, focus on food and exercise and body image becomes tunnel vision. the dry and it has a an actual benefit because there is a sense that the world around me, is so overwhelming and I don't have control over all of that stuff. What do I have control over? And that's my body. My, what actually goes into my body and how I move my body. That's literally the only thing we have control over. Now there is a tie in to uh, sexuality and body image uh, issues where this drive to feel attractive And sexualized is often tied into use of drugs like crystal meth, where I see compulsive sexual behavior also being an issue and using drugs in order to be able to facilitate that because there's so much underlying self-loathing about their body and and they need to dissociate from their body because otherwise they're focused, hyper-focused on their body. And so the dissociating from it and having the energy from a, a drug like crystal meth can allow them to then participate in sex, but it's the only way they can. And so we, we see that as another co-occurring experience. And it might also be cocaine. It might also be um, uh, speed, you know, things like that. But yeah, it's uh, what the, the the eating disorder itself in restrictive behaviors is really gives you that hyper focus. But let's also not forget that binge eating disorder is an eating disorder that also affects men's uh, focus on health and uh, their sexual health. Binging is about a feeling of loss of control and that I am, am an awful person and an awful thing. And that sense of depression and awfulness and loss of, uh, you know, uh, autonomy over my own body is often tied into, um, I can't imagine being with another person who could possibly want to be with me.
1: Sounds like like a lot of low self-esteem that comes with that binging disorder. Is that
0: correct? That's very much true. And it's also about a sort of uh, obsessional behavior about food, I have a thought, and I don't have the uh, the ability to say, Nope, not going to do that. I know I'm full, I don't need to eat. Um, but there's that executive dysfunction, right, that says, nope, I got to go do it, I'm going to go do it, I'm going to go do it. So we also see a lot of compulsive uh, behaviors related to sex and masturbation. Uh, and pornography in individuals. Uh, and this is anecdotally. I have, there's, not, there's no research on this. My anecdotal experience is individuals who are often in large bodies who are struggling with binge eating who are really also struggling with some kind of compulsive sexual experience.
1: I'm just taking a couple steps back. It sounds like though some of these eating disorders take people in opposite directions in the sense that it sounds like people who are restricting calories may feel good about themselves initially maybe striving towards something that they believe will make them feel good about themselves yes. whereas people who are binging are already in like an element of self-loathing in other words they don't feel good about this activity it's something that they both ab- abhor but they can't quite get in control over
0: it that's right well, it's what we would you know, describe in, in our therapy world as ego syntonic and ego dystonic right so it's ego syntonic to to restrict, to diet, to have, you know, very clear rigid dietary rules. It fits in with what our culture says is normal and desirable. And same with going to the gym and being hyper hypermasculine.
1: Yes, and I think one of the important takeaways both for myself and I hope for our listeners is when somebody comes to work on, on improving erections or erectile dysfunction, mm-hmm. I think as a clinician, I look at, well, are you exercising as a healthy lifestyle choice? And a lot of times right. if the answer is yes, it's something that I wouldn't really think to probe further about. Um, sometimes goodness. it can be very, very puzzling. Here's a person, they're in shape, they're, they're you know, they're, they're really taking care of themselves. They, they seem to be oriented towards their own sense of masculinity, but what mm-hmm. could be behind all of that potentially is maybe there is a a hidden or some kind of eating disorder or muscle dysmorphia or type of thing, which is really mind occupying and maybe interfering with that process. And I really appreciate you kind of like, but bringing that out and bringing that to my attention, that it's not as simple as it may appear that somebody's just in great shape and they're watching what they eat and they're really um, <laughs> in tune to their caloric intake, where it may sound all good, but there may be a deeper mental process that uh, not only is interfering with erections, but potentially needs to be addressed for this person's overall well being.
0: And that's a really good point. And it's really hard to tease out because males don't often respond to the questions that an eating disorder therapist is typically trained to ask about. So, you know, we we talk about uh, in the assessment of of males, I look at uh, something like, has there been significant changes in your weight in a given period of time? That typically tells me, for instance, if they've lost more than five, 10% of their weight in, in say a month, Two months, three months, whatever, that they've done a radical change in their dietary practice. And I want to investigate that a little bit. If uh, they say, no, my dietary practice hasn't changed, but boy, I really amped up my exercise. Okay, let's talk about that and make sure that it's not interfering with their life. You know, are you still able to go out and go enjoy going to the restaurant? Can you still go out? um, and have the occasional ice cream when the family goes out and has ice cream. Um, can you miss a day of exercise because you have a cold, you know, these are, it's like basic self-care. Are you doing that? Good. All right. Not, not necessarily going to worry about it until I see some other signs. Um, but you also look at signs of depression Signs of, you know, work is not going well. Signs of my relationships are falling apart. Uh, Other family members are saying, and I'm kind of worried they're not acting the same uh, like they used to. And, you know, uh, and for athletes uh, in particular, male athletes, let's talk about the fact that it's completely normalized to be rigid about your food and your, your, your exercise patterns. We call the the International Olympic Committee in the last several years came up with a diagnosis red S, which is relative energy deficiency in sports so that they can help identify these athletes where this rigid and and positive associated behavior can be better assessed. We look for diminished ability to exercise. Uh, We look for uh, their their performances to decline. We look for injuries that are not healing well. Uh, We look for irritability. We look for um, mood changes uh, for, uh, you know, other people who see them and, and can report back yeah, it seems like things aren't the same. You know, They're not the way they used to be. And, and so that's essentially the same kind of concept we want to talk mm-hmm. about with men mm-hmm. in general.
1: Yeah, these things are really hard though to find. And, and, and I know that it's something that I ask everybody who I work with, whether you have an eating disorder yeah. and it wouldn't really cross my mind necessarily to probe as deep as you're kind of like opening my eyes to. And certainly with the potential crossover impact into um, sexual function uh, yes. because it, it, it really kind of hides. It's not so easy if, you, if you're if you not really tuned into asking the right types of questions because we do think largely in terms of caloric restriction or uh, binge purge type of terminology right. um, without kind of probing any deeper into uh, eating habits or exercise habits or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And I think what makes it even more difficult, and this probably makes you know, your work challenging, um, is a lot of this stuff is sometimes like viewed positively and praised. That exactly. a person is on this diet, or they're on that diet, or look how little they 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 consume, or look how well they control their caloric intake, or how often they're working out, or whatnot. Yeah. And there is a very very fine line here between what we praise and what might be a disorder.
0: And um, this is where I think a lot of uh, males get. Misdiagnosed, not diagnosed, etc. cetera. My behaviors, I struggled for 20 years with an active eating disorder from age 10 till I was 30. And all of my behaviors were seen as normal by the psychiatrists I saw, by the therapists I met with, and the doctors with whom I, uh, I spoke, which included being hyper rigid about uh, when I was in high school in particular, I became anorexic and I lost 25% of my body weight in three months. And everyone, my coaches, I was a three varsity sport athlete and my coaches were celebrating like about time Wallen. you know, good job. You know, you finally look like the athlete you, you say you wanted to be, uh, my father who I love dearly, he's a physician. And he also, uh, is the one who helped me lose that weight, uh, initially saying, I, I, I'll put you on a medically induced, you know, a medically supervised program. I want to help you son. I am lovingly done normal. In fact, and instead, uh, I said, I'm going to take it another level because I am by nature a competitive person. So I competed against my own diet and I took it from, you know, the calories that my father set to reducing it and reducing it, reducing it to the point where, um, you know, I look at the pictures and I, I see from that era, uh, I'm, I'm flat affect. Uh, I know that my performance in my sports went way down. Um, I know my mood was irritable and nobody picked up on it. In fact, everybody said, great job. So of course I'm going to keep doing it.
1: Yeah. The appearances were something that, that won you affirmation, but
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I think what you're sharing is, and I appreciate you sharing this personal part of your life with our listeners, what I hear you sharing though is that the impact, both on just your physical health but also on your mental health, your mood and like flat affect and uh, yeah. feeling irritable and and it's profound. It really is profound in terms of like how how mu- how many tentacles an eating disorder really has and the impact just beyond just the caloric intake and the mind occupyingness of all of that, it can really profoundly change mood orientation to the world and and whatnot.
0: And that's huge. I mean, and again, even with the adolescent boys that I, I work with, you know, in the last you know, 15 years of my work, I've had their, their primary care doctors who will pat them on the stomach and say, boy, I wish I had abs like that. Meanwhile, the kid, you know, their, their lab values are showing that they're very, very sick. And they, in fact, might even need to be hospitalized. And that's, that's the chaos that we're fighting against. So it's, you can't look at somebody and say they have an eating disorder. You can't, it requires an assessment. And in particular in men with our greater muscle mass and our greater bone density, that's a really big deal. You know, it doesn't, we don't typically look like we have an eating disorder. You have to assess.
1: Okay. That was really, really informative, Andrew. And I have to say that not, not only, our listeners are going to benefit from this, but I myself have benefited from just like being able to expand uh, my thinking. And and as you're probably aware, we're continually learning so much about various aspects of mental health, and this is Absolutely. an area that I really think is is real you know, relatively cutting edge in the sense that it's not it's not a well-covered area, but it's so important. It's a really, really important topic. And one of the things that I appreciate about what you're doing with this, and I think it's one of the missions that we have with this podcast and in my work, is uh, to really try to uh, educate people about uh, topics that just carry a tremendous amount of shame and a tremendous amount of taboo and trying to help people be equipped to identify and to be able to address these challenges with real solid workable information um, and to really help people bridge the gap to be able to reach out for help Uh, because we're all human and uh, this is part of the human condition. And I, I would assume that you share in the mission of just trying to make access to excellent care um, that much easier for people who really it takes some courage uh, and, and uh, gumption to really reach out for that help. Um.
0: Absolutely. I think the, the most difficult thing uh, for most men is to say, I don't have to do this by myself. And that our greatest strength is when we have a bond among our peers and, and can join that sort of fraternity of recovery. That's what I hope we all get to at some point.
1: Yeah. So again, Andrew, thank you very much for your time. We appreciate you joining us on the podcast. Um, if I don't know if you're accepting new clients at this point, we're happy. I to am, meet
0: I, Anyone who is in the Maryland, DC and Virginia area, feel free to contact me. It's dudemh.com. dude. Mental health is the name of my program and uh, I'm here to help. Uh,
1: Thank you again, Andrew, for all of this. I can't wait to get this out to our listeners to help kind of just expand that knowledge base around sexual function and mental health in general.
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Mark. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit erectioniq.com. That's erectioniq.com.